0: You're listening to 10 Points, a podcast with your hosts, Ash and Nicholas, where all the talk is Canadian Highlander, our favorite format from the best trading card game ever, Magic the Gathering.
1: Hey everyone, it's me, Nicholas. And me, Ash. And today we're going to be talking about Four Color Kiki Pod. But first, uh, we need to talk about our best card from the set Weatherlight. Ash, what do you got? So, Weatherlight
0: has, a, it's a weird set, it has a couple interesting cards for Highlander, but it has a lot of chaff, like I think even more than most of these last couple sets. Um, the card I thought about going with was, well actually I'm not going to say what I thought about in case you picked it. Uh, I The card I chose was Doomsday. Um, it's a, it's not quite as popular as it used to be, but uh, it is an established combo deck in the format. Um, and it is also utilized in various other combo decks, just as part of their setup. But uh, it is a powerful card. It used to be in the points list. I don't believe it is anymore. But uh, it's 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 shown its stripes, or earned its stripes, whatever. It's good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I also picked Doomsday. Um, it's just been the card that has made the most impact on the format. Uh, like Ash said, you don't see it as much anymore. Uh, but every once in a while you'll get surprised by a doomsday, doomsday package.
0: Um, a couple, I would like to share a couple, um, honorable mentions. Uh, the first of which is abeyance, which is one of the silence effects you play in storm lists. Um, disrupt is a tempo-y spell or a, a force spike type card that also cycles. Um, and then buried alive sees play in reanimator and some weird combo decks. Uh, if they're having a lot of reanimation effects. And then there was one more. Mindstone sees play in paradox and eggs and stuff like that. Additionally, uh, Necrotog just looks cool.
1: It does. I also additional. Uh, I play Gemstone Mine on occasion in Storm. Because uh, oh won't yeah, Gemstone need Mine to too. Tap it more than three times. Yeah, that's that's definitely fair.
0: Um and you do actually also play Phyrexian Furnace in eggs, that's a thing you do. Um but yeah, that's uh cool.
1: Alright, let's get into it. Also uh,
0: okay, sorry, really quick, really quick. Everyone, whenever you get a chance, please look at the art for Redwood Tree Folk. It's very good. It's high tier. it's it, it's it's good stuff. Okay, uh, so now we'll move on, I suppose, to our main topic today. We're going to be doing a deep dive on Four Color Kiki Pod. Uh, we did my favorite deck on our first deep dive, and now we're going to do Nicholas's, as it is. Uh, I think I think you've waited patiently. I would say. So, do you want to kind of give us a, a a summary of the deck, and then we'll get a little more into it?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, so anybody that's listened to the podcast knows that I play a pretty decent amount of four-color Kiki Pod and talk about it a lot. Um, so I'm just going to quickly go into like the philosophy and game plan of the deck. Um, so you kind of have two game plans. Uh, your game plan A is uh, win with a combo, uh, usually involving Kiki-Jiki and some amount of creatures that combo with it, um, such as Pestermite or Felidar Guardian, uh, etc., Um, but then you also, uh, the less commonly known and one of the biggest mistakes that people, uh, make when playing the deck is, um, the solid mid-range plan, where you're just playing a bunch of really good creatures with, like, good, like, ETB effects and different things like that, um, and you just, like, attack them until they die. Um, so your kind of general game plan in the deck, um, is you want, like, a turn one mana dork, uh, turn two, maybe, like, a good three-drop creature, um... Turn four, like maybe like a creature plus a tutor or something, um, and then you just kind of go from there. So obviously, it really heavily depends on what uh, hand you have. Depends on your game, pl- your game plan. For example, if you're like three drop creature on turn two is a pestermite, uh, you might be more looking to go for a combo plan. But if it's a kitchen finks, you might just be okay, um, kind of going for more of a mid range plan. So really. Kinda of depends on what matchup you're in, what kind of hand you have, um, and how the game progresses.
0: Yeah, I uh I would definitely say that I've lost my fair share of matchups, or my fair share of matches against this deck by, you know, twisting myself into a knot trying to find interaction for the combo just to die to the creatures.
1: Yeah, and I, th- we've I know we talk about-, about that a lot. But it yeah, we how do it talk works. about this a lot. But it's really important when you're against these like somewhat hybrid combo decks. It's really important that you don't get too tunnel vision because a good pilot will be able to take advantage of that and just completely switch lanes at the drop of a hat. So if you're spending all of your resources trying to find a way to deal with the combo, you're just gonna get run over by efficient creatures. Uh, so you really need to be vigilant about that
0: yeah and I will say that that kind of idea just to deviate really briefly. Um, that idea of a good player being able to know when you're not focusing on the right thing really illustrates how uh when you're when you get really good at playing specific decks, it stops being about the the deck matchup and it starts becoming more about the player matchup. So it kind of doesn't matter what your opponent is on once you figure out how they're playing you start to learn how to play to be the way they're playing, not what they're playing. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. So, um, that's kind of the very, you know, the, the, the the elevator pitch version of the deck. Yeah. Um, And you want to talk good.
1: I was just going to say, and we'll of course get more into that as we continue to talk about the deck. Um, but that's, yeah, the, the brief overview. And as we start to get deeper in,
0: So before we start talking about the kind of general good stuff the deck does, um, do you want to talk a little bit about the combo stuff? Because that's what most people immediately think of when they hear Kiki Pod.
1: Yeah, Uh, so your most common combo uh, or combos, I guess, would be Kiki Jiki plus um, anything that either untaps it or blinks it um, and or Splinter Twin with anything that untaps it or untaps the creature that it's enchanted to, rather. Um, and then depending on your point spread, there could also be some infinite turn combos involving Time Walk. Um, but the way that you get to those combos, um, specifically with the Kiki-Jiki combo, there are three to four main ways. Um, so the first and uh, uh, more most common, uh, as the deck is partially named off after it, is the uh, Pod Chain. And essentially, if you have Birthing Pod on the battlefield and enough mana, um, you can turn any one, two, or three-drop creature into an instant win. Um, So I'll just start with a one-drop creature, and then if Uh, you have...
0: Assuming no interaction.
1: Yeah, assuming no interaction, of course. Um, But so we'll just start out with, say, you have a one-drop creature and you have a Birthing Pod. Um, You can pod that creature into Corridor Monitor to untap pod, um, and then pod the Corridor Monitor into a Pestermite to again untap pod, Uh, pod the Pestermite into a Felidaire Guardian to blink pod, um, and then pod the Felidaire Guardian into a Karmic Guide to return the Felidaire Guardian uh, to blink pod again, and then pod the Felidaire Guardian for a Kikijiki to make a copy of the Karmic Guide which brings back Felidar Guardian which blinks kiki-jiki and then from there you make infinite Felidar Guardian tokens or yeah um which wins the game um and then obviously if you start out with a two-drop creature you can skip the corridor monitor and then if you start out with a uh, three-drop creature then you can skip the pestermite um you do need the um the Felidar Guardian unless you have uh there are like other lines that you can Take depending on what you have on the battlefield, but assuming you have nothing else, um, that is what you'll need to do. Um, With Prime Speaker Vanifar, um, it is slightly different. So it's a similar concept, except Felidere Guardian doesn't work, because if you blink Prime Speaker Vanifar, she has Summoning Sickness. Um, So that is the one and only reason that you're playing Breaching Hippocamp in the deck, which uh, basically accomplishes the same thing. Um, Well, I would like to say that there is another reason, which is redundancy. Yeah, um, you are playing it for redundancy, but at a certain point, you don't want to bog down your deck too much with the, um, the untapped creatures.
0: Yeah, I just mean you still want your deck to work if you, if your Felidar Guardian gets exiled or something.
1: Yeah. Um, which Felidar Guardian doesn't, I mean, uh, Breaching Hippocamp doesn't actually work with Pod, uh, because I believe it says only creatures. Um. Sure. But if you have a pod on the battlefield you'll be able to assemble a combo um, it just might not all be in one turn depending on uh what you do and do not have access to um but yeah prime speaker vanafar very similar concept except um you go corridor, corridor monitor pester breaching hippocamp um and then you from the breaching hippocamp go get karmic guide um, and then, yeah, same thing, bring back the pre- Breaching Hippocamp, untap Prime of Far, go get Kijiki, and then do the same thing, except using the Breaching Hippocamp instead of the Philadelphia. Guardian. Um, and then the newest and most recent, uh, way of chaining, uh, combos is with the new six mana Vivian. I think it's Vivian on the hunt. Does that sound right? That does sound right. I don't even know how this combo works, so I'm learning with you, audience. It, it works the same way. So if you don't know, Vivian's plus two is sacrifice a creature and then search your library for a um, a creature card with CMC equal to that plus one. So it reads the same as pod. Um, so you can't start at a one drop with Prime Super Vanifar. Uh, you have to start with a three drop. Um, but then from a three drop, you just uh, do the same thing. You go get Felidar Guardian, uh, blink the Vanifar, and then you go get Karmic Guide. Or the, uh, the blink. Vivian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vivian, sorry. Um, blink the Vivian, go get Karmic Guide, uh, return the Felidar Guardian, blink the Vivian again, and then go get Kikijiki and win from there. Um, so yeah, it's a very similar, very similar setup. And then with Survival of the Fittest, it's not as consistent, um, but you can, like, do things where you, like, tutor out Felidar Guardian and then discard it to go tutor up uh, Karmic Guide, and then, um, like, play the Karmic Guide to get back the Felidaire Guardian and then tutor up uh, Kiki-Jiki and, like, discard it, or, like, whatever. Um, things like that to assemble the combo for less mana than it would take if you were just hard casting all of these things. Um, but I it's not... I think
0: one notable thing... Actually, sorry, finish your thought. I just kind of had an intrusive thought.
1: <laughs> I was just going to say, but it's not as consistent.
0: Okay. I-, I think one notable thing about the new Vivian... Like, you probably... Maybe this is just my opinion. I probably wouldn't just play a six mana pod that only worked with half your lines. But for the fact that if you're not comboing, it also just draws you a bunch of cards and makes your mid-range game plan work even better,
1: I think is why it's viable. Yeah, all of the modes on Vivian are really, really good in this deck.
0: Yeah, she also makes big tokens and draws you a bunch of
1: cards. Yeah. Uh, a bunch
0: of creatures, specifically.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, Vivian's a really solid include. Uh, and like we said earlier, you're playing a lot of mana dorks, so getting to that 6 mana isn't as difficult as it would be in some other decks.
0: So, you've kind of talked a little bit about how the chain combos work, but are there any just A plus B combos that work out in this deck?
1: Yeah. Um. So, Splinter Twin um, is the most obvious. Splinter Twin plus... Any of your untapped creature effects, combos. And then if your point spread involves Time Walk, um, Kiki Jiki plus Eternal Witness or Splinter Twin plus Eternal Witness um, takes infinite turns. Um, so,
0: Kiki Jiki also works with all of your untapped or bleeding creatures, right? Yes, like just, yes, You can just cast those cards?
1: Yeah. Kiki Jiki works with everything from Corridor Monitor to Restoration Angel.
0: Sick. So... Yeah. Is that all really for the combo parts of the deck? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about the cards we play to help us set up those combos?
1: Yeah. Uh, so obviously, uh, first and foremost, uh, we're just two, you're playing tutors. Uh, you're playing a creature deck, you want to find specific creatures in that deck, so you're playing all of the good creature tutors. Um so you're playing things like Eladomri's Call and Worldly Tutor just to like tutor out cards to your hand. Um, we already talked about Survival of the Fittest and Birthing Pod being uh, part of the pod chains. And also just really good value tutors. like They're very efficient to just get better creatures. Um, and then you're playing things like um, Recruiter of the Guard. And Imperial Recruiter, which um, can get most of your combo pieces and a lot of your just really good creatures. It gets like Kiki-Jiki, it gets Pestermite, um, but it also gets things like Night of Autumn um, and stuff like that. Um, And then you're also playing like some of the tutor to play uh, tutors, such as Court of Calling um, and Eldritch Evolution. What about uh,
0: Finale of Devastation?
1: Finale of Devastation is very good. It's a good way to, uh, if a creature's been killed, it can bring something back from the graveyard. Which is a line I think a lot of people miss sometimes. They I just, agree. like, cast it and pick up their library when I'm like, just look at your graveyard.
0: Um, like, just just literally five mana reanimated three drop is not bad. <laughs> yeah. It's very good. So, uh, now, that's great that we can find all of our creatures, but how do we find Pod?
1: Uh, Yeah, so there, it it kind of depends. Um, I've, one of the more common ways, which is something that a lot of people wouldn't think of, is a lot of time, a lot of the time you're on um, five mana Tezzeret. I think it's Tezzeret the Seeker. Um, And it is a five-mana Planeswalker that comes in with four loyalty, and the only ability on it that you care about in the deck is minus X, uh, search your library for an artifact card with CMC X or less, which uh, pod just so happens to be four CMC. So you play it as a five-mana pod, essentially. Um, Okay. Do you play
0: any other tutors that just put it into your hand?
1: uh, I have been on um, Enlightened Tutor before. What about Fabricate? Uh, Do you go that far? No, I don't like Fabricate. Um, And oftentimes, I don't even go so far as to play Enlightened Tutor. Um, Really, Enlightened Tutor more kind of depends on... First of all, if Soul Ring is in my point spread, it gets a little more reasonable because it can be something you can play turn one to get a Soul Ring if you uh, are looking to accelerate really fast. Um, And then the recent printing of lion Sash has really made me kind of reconsider um, these... like cards like Enlightened Tutor. Uh because you can now not only get a creature if you need like a blocker or a way to kill your opponent, but it also is of one of your strong silver bullet cards. So I've been um cycling scavenging ooze out and replacing it with Lion Sash purely because you can get it with Enlightened Tutor. Um which I think is pretty strong.
0: Okay. So you were talking a little bit about Silver Bullets just there with the Lion Sash. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so in Pod, uh, obviously we talked about the combos, but another big part of your deck is there's a lot of creatures that just like shut down certain decks. So you're playing a lot of these like Silver Bullet cards or like meta cards that just beat certain decks that you're worried about playing against. Um, some good examples, I mean, Collector Oof is obviously the biggest one. It shuts down any artifact-based combo deck, um, and things like Affinity and stuff like that, and it's just really easy to include and really easy to tutor out in the matchups that it matters, so you can get it really consistently, even though you're only playing one in your deck, um, whenever you need it, you pretty much have it. Um, and then you can play, I oftentimes, um... I wouldn't recommend this in every pod deck. It kind of depends on your meta, but I'm oftentimes on things like Gaddock Teeg, um, partially because it shuts control decks off of most of their Wrath of Gods, but it also beats certain combo decks. Um, like it's really hard for um, Paradox Academy, uh, for example, to go off because it's playing a lot of X spells and a lot of non-creature spells with CMC four or greater. Um, and pretty much the only ones that you're on are, like, Pod and um, Vivian and maybe Tezzeret. So it doesn't matter to you as much. Um, and
0: so, I, I have a question.
1: Yeah.
0: I think you kind of are answering that just now, but, like, with Oof and Gaticteague, the only silver bullets you've mentioned up to this point, they both hit a lot of your own cards. Is the idea that you you just... That you're beating them harder than you're beating yourself with those effects
1: yeah so the reason that they're worth it which um oof really only shuts off uh like three or four cards in your deck um but the thing is in the matchups that you want it it doesn't matter because if you're playing against like eggs for example i don't care that i'm not comboing off because you're definitely not comboing off until you deal with this collector oof so until then i'm just playing efficient creatures and attacking you um, and you have to deal with this Collector or it's going to kill you. Um, less so with Gaddic Teague, but same thing. Like, if in the matchups that I'm tutoring tutoring it out, I don't need to be comboing. Uh, I just need to be, kill, like, attacking them.
0: Well, coming from uh, playing blue-white control against this deck, uh, the second you land Gaddic Teague, I am shaking my boots, is my Wraths don't work.
1: Yeah, and also like things like Cryptic Command and Mystic Confluence, all of a sudden, are just like really annoying, and like a lot of blue eyed sources of reoccurable card advantage, such as uh, Teferi and Jace the Mind Sculptor, also are no go. So Gaddock Teeg, while it doesn't like seem like it's all that uh, great, it actually just really uh, goozles the deck that it's good against.
0: All right, all right. Well, what other kind of medical silver bullet uh tutor targets are you on
1: yeah so for like graveyard decks you're on things like um endurance and like i mentioned earlier lion scash lion sash and scavenging use um against uh, a large variety of control and combo decks and some mid-range decks Arc archmage is a very good option um the ability to just have two free counter spells sitting on the battlefield is really good um so your are in
0: your deck is pretty good at resetting it too
1: yeah you can also use things like restoration angel and filter guardian to blink it once it's persisted um and just or and then once it's in the graveyard you have things like karmic guide and stuff like that to get it back um yeah and then in your like creature matchups a lot of the time you'll be tutoring up things like palace jailer um or F- fury and sometimes flame tongue Cavu, um depending on how heavy you're trying to beat uh creature decks. Um and then Vendillion Clique is very good against combo decks um and pretty solid against control decks and um stuff like that. And this deck's actually on a lot of uh flash creatures because your Pestermites, your deceiver X Arc, your uh, Bound Bounding Crisis, Breaching Hippocamp, um, Restoration Angel. Restoration Angel all have flash. Cliques. So yeah, adding a Vendillion clique, like you you get an endurance. Um you can usually uh like do the kind of classic way to try to uh attempt to beat control by like slamming a threat on their end step and then on your main phase so they have to be able to counter and or kill two threats in one turn cycle so what about um do you play solitude
0: sometimes as well
1: oh yeah uh that was not on this list that actually is above flametone Cabo and fury uh and honestly sometimes palace jailer um, Just
0: depending on if it's reasonable for them to get it back or not.
1: Yeah, because uh, Palace Jailer, the awkward situation that you sometimes come uh, come <clears throat> into, is Palace Jailer is really really good when you're ahead, um, and super decent when you are uh, even. But it is it sucks when you're behind because you uh, you essentially like if you decide to play it and they have a way to get it back instantly. Uh, it basically stops them from attacking with a creature for one turn, but in exchange they have the monarch, uh, which is not a situation that you want to be in.
0: Uh, yeah, I. Uh, it really, I mean, I think we've all been in that position where we slam a we slam on palace dealer, and they. Cast something that lets them hit immediately when you didn't think they were going to be able to, and now they all of a sudden have double your board and the monarch.
1: Yeah, the worst feeling is like playing a palace jailer, and then on your instep, they just like flash in a nimble obstructionist or something, and you're like, I did not consider that was an option. Yeah, Uh, then you you just like gave them a howling mine you never get back. Yeah, uh, one feels bad. One relevant mode on palace jailer that I uh find myself using more and more is against, um, control decks, sometimes you just get it even if they don't have a creature. Uh, because introducing the Monarch into a game uh, in a matchup in which it's very unlikely that they're going to be getting it back, um, and if they do get it back, you'll probably still get it back from them, is very strong. So, Palace jeweler's secret, uh, control tech as well.
0: Yeah, that seems pretty good. Um... So I noticed on the list here, you we have a uh, mana dorks listed. You want to just kind of skim through the dorks that you like to play?
1: All of them. That's not totally true, but you play a lot of mana dorks. Um, like you
0: just do one mana ones.
1: Most, mostly just one mana ones. Um, I really like Wall of Roots. Um, I've been playing Sylvan Caryadded less and less. It just feels kind of awkward sometimes, but still sometimes makes it in the list. Um. But as, uh, apart from that, it's mostly just the one-mana ones. Obviously, you're playing both Hierarchs, Birds, um, some, if not all, maybe not all, but a lot of the, um, the Mana Dorks that just tap for a green, and then you're on also like avicen's Pilgrim um, and Deathrite Shaman and stuff like that. And you said the Hierarchs, right? Yeah.
0: Okay. So pretty much all the ones that make all your colors, and then also some that just make green.
1: Yeah. Um because and you
0: typically you typically play um a Dryad Arbor because you're on Green Sun Zenith, right?
1: Yeah. Um yes. Dryad Arbor is something that always makes it into my lists because Green Sun Zenith just turns into a mana dork if you need it to.
0: And it also gives you the added benefit of being able to pitch that Dryad Arbor to a survival of the fittest or using it to get to a one drop to start potting.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, you can like fetch for it to uh, put a creature on the battlefield to start potting or um, like if you have a fiend artisan and you need a creature to sacrifice uh, you can play your fetch land and go get dried arbor yeah yeah uh,
0: I mean I don't know if you would necessarily but you could also sacrifice it to uh, uh, Elders evolution
1: yeah uh, which is would be totally reasonable like if you're especially if you're trying to get something like a collector oof or something um, yeah you're doing that 100% of the time
0: all right Um, So, outside of things that are just, you know, so we talked about specifically combo pieces like Pestermite, Breaching Hippocamp, um, stuff like that, and we talked about these kind of tutor targets, silver bullet style effects, Um, what other kind of effects are we playing?
1: Yeah, so you're also just on a lot of really good creatures. Um, Specifically, you want a lot of your creatures to have some impact the moment they hit the board, so a lot of enter-the-battlefield effects, but obviously not all of them have that. Um, An example of one that you play that does not have that is Luminous Broodmoth, but uh, not only does it protect your creatures very well, um, but it makes, um, obviously, Pod and the previously mentioned... um, combo chain pieces it makes them very good in like the face of interaction because you uh as far as the pod chain goes while it is very consistent if in a goldfish if you're well if you're goldfishing the deck um in real world application uh they are often holding up a piece of removal to deal with that very thing so you'll often not be able to complete the pod chain but if you have a luminous brood moth it doesn't matter because you're just gaining so much value um, and then also Luminous Broodmouth is very good against um, things like control decks that are trying to looking to play Wraths, because essentially they have to deal with the Broodmouth before they can Wrath your board, um, and it's also really good, honestly maybe even better than against the control decks, I think it's just really good in the mid-range decks, or against the mid-range decks, because you're like they don't have good blocks, they don't have good attacks because you just trade your creatures, and then your creature becomes better, um, and it's hard. They have less ways to deal with it, I think, than a normal control deck would.
0: Yeah, I would. Uh, I I would agree that looking at a luminous broodmoth with om- almost no matter what you're on just really sucks unless you're on a like c- combo. And yeah, you're like kind of whatever
1: which I mean even against combo it's a clock like a 3-4 flyer it it's not slow
0: no especially uh, cuz it's rarely by itself yeah
1: exactly um and then other like really solid creatures you're playing thragtusk and kitchen finks um which are just always really good um first of all they're uh, good they're, against removal they the gain life yeah they're both really good against removal they're both really good against aggro um they both do something the moment they hit the battlefield and when they die Um, so they're resilient threats. Kitchen Finks is really good with, uh, Birthing Pods because you get two out of it and things like, um, Eldritch Evolution and Neoform also really like Kitchen Finks. Um... I forgot about Neoform. Yeah. Uh, you're also playing things like Fiend Artisan, which is, first of all, just a lot of the time in this deck because you're on so many creatures. It's a big, beefy, two-mana attacker. But also, the ability to, um green sun without the color um without the color restriction every turn uh is super good i mean you do
0: have to sack a creature you do have to
1: sack a creature but you don't care um It, it it
0: doesn't you don't tutor the difference in cmc right you have to pay it full full price plus
1: one yeah 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 it's it's um one and x and then you get an x or less drop okay um and then also uh true, like things like true name mimesis which is obviously that depends on your point spread uh but that's another really good uh, yeah and the solid... thing
0: this one the thing this one does when it uh as soon as it enters the battlefield is doesn't care because it doesn't die
1: yeah it's like uh yeah this is going to kill you okay so um is
0: that it just creatures do we play any non creature effects
1: yeah uh so not as many but in in the recent few years you have included more and more non-creature effects. Uh specifically some of the uh new OP uh three mana planeswalkers. Uh and I guess the two mana planeswalker. Um so Renin Six, very, very good. You're playing all of the fetches in this deck. Uh and I mean everyone knows Renin Six is really good. Anyone that's ever played just... with or against Renin Six knows that it's really good.
0: It allows you to keep hands with fewer lands.
1: Yeah. Um it's absurd. You're I'm I'm oftentimes on Oko um and Three Mana Teferi. Uh because like I said, your your game plan usually wants to involve a turn one mana dork. So playing a turn two Oko in most of the fair matchups and some of the unfair matchups is unbeatable. Uh, and um three mana teferi is very good against the control decks that are trying to interact at instant speed. Um, it gives you a little peace of mind um, and is just really good. So I'm oftentimes on all three of those. And as I talked about earlier, uh, Tezzeret the Seeker is something that you're often oftentimes on.
0: It's also notable that um, Oko is one of your few ways to like realistically fight through humility.
1: Yeah, um, which we will get into that later. But hum-
0: <laughs> yeah, we will.
1: You have to have ways to deal with humility now because it just ruins everything. Um, yeah, but it's really interesting to have seen the evolution of the pod deck, because previously the Planeswalkers you were playing were things like Domri Raid, Garrick Relentless, Ghost, the Reveler, um, were like all cards that you'd see often, and now I'm very rarely on any of those. Um, sometimes I'm still on Garrick, but honestly I think that's just because I like the card a lot, uh, and so I'll try to shoehorn it in, but oftentimes I'm not even, uh, on Garrick. Yeah.
0: I think I cut it from my last list and that list was like a year ago.
1: Yeah. There's just better Planeswalkers to be playing. Um, and you just don't have enough flex slots to be playing all of them. So you just, there's better cards now.
0: Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. So what other kind of just value cards do you want?
1: Yeah, um so you're on uh some number of mainlands. Um Raging or um, I, did I say mainlands? I mean manlands. Uh namely Raging Ravine. Um but then you're Do also you
0: Stirring Wildwood.
1: Uh yeah, that's often the second one that I'm on and that's usually pretty much it. Um Yeah, and then you're also on things like Aether Vile. Um obviously you're on a ton of creatures. So Aether is really good. It beats the control decks pretty well. Um, But it's also just, like, mana efficient. Uh, You, like, usually will try to get it to, like, three or four, um, maybe five, depending on your hand, and just stop. And it oftentimes is just really good. Um, And then some, like, kind of card advantage things. I'm oftentimes on Sylvan Library, um, just because it's really good at turning through your deck um, and finding the creatures that you need. Um, and it's also really good with uh, Corsair of Krufix, which is uh, another one of the really solid creatures that I didn't mention. Um, but honestly, sure, infinite combos are fun, but there's no better feeling than assembling Sylvan Library Corsair of Krufix and just drawing the card that you want and having a la- making sure that you have a land on top. <laughs> it's like the best value engine you can imagine. I mean, I wouldn't say it's the best value engine I can imagine. Ah, uh, it's pretty solid. It also gains you life, so you can start paying life to the Slimman Library. There, it, it's unbeatable. No, it's it. that's just, like, a fun little interaction that sometimes Didn't comes we up.
0: Wa- Did we not watch Seth assemble that and get beat? I don't know. Who can say? Uh, <laughs> okay, it, so just... Just to, oh wait, sorry, talk about this next card, that I have a comment.
1: Yeah, uh, the last card. So you may say, Nicholas, you're on so many mana dorks, what if you just, like, draw a bunch of mana dorks? What are you gonna do? Well, Skullclamp is really good at turning those mana dorks into cards. Uh, es- essentially the mana dorks tap themselves to make mana in order to put this hat that is gonna kill them on their head so that you can have cards. It's a very honorable sacrifice. Fantastic.
0: Um... Now, that's not the last card, but that's just yeah, the last yeah, in yeah. this little list here. Yeah. So, I just really quick uh, for the audience um, I see Sylvan Library, Aether Vial, uh, let's see Lion Sash, Birthing Pod, we talked about Soul Ring. Those all get turned off by Collector Roof.
1: Yeah, that's like four cards, but Collector Roof turns what off. How
0: about your Oko Foods?
1: Those are never being sacrificed. If you're in a situation in which you need to sacrifice those, uh, you're probably losing anyway. Okay, fair. Those are three threes. Interesting. Or Interesting. they trade Hot for tape. your opponent's creatures, which in that case they have the food. Okay, I give you that. Uh, but yeah, no. All right, all right. You play Oof because when it is good, it's unbeatable. Well, I know. To a I, I, I don't.
0: I don't actually think you're wrong. I just like joking about it. Yeah,
1: It is also nice to, like, that's something that someone that doesn't realize how prevalent artifact combo decks are in the format uh, might look at the deck and think, hmm, that's a weird inclusion. So it is really good to mention that, yes, it shuts off some of our cards, but it's just better against their cards.
0: It's also notable that it kind of depends on your metagame. If there's, if, if the... What's it called? If the collector roof is not doing anything in your meta game, you're probably not going to be playing it in one of your flex slots.
1: Yeah, you, you need to know, um, like, if, if you know your meta really well and you know it's not going to be doing anything, yeah, absolutely cut it. Um, Which, but, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. If you know that it beats, um, like, even if it only beats one deck in your meta, um, the fact that you will always see it, almost always see it in that, like when you're in that matchup because you have so many creature tutors, almost makes it worth it. Um, and then oftentimes I'll play it in blind metas because it beats eggs, it beats paradox, it beats um, Grix's vault or any of the time vault decks, um, it beats things like affinity. You can um, just
0: tutor it if your opponent has equipment.
1: Yeah, it beats storm, it beats, yeah, like Ash set equipment. So, um,
0: a while back, or not, not that long ago, really, we talked about one of the one of the best "quote unquote" silver bullet tutor targets is just questing beast because you just turn it side. Well, you don't turn it sideways; you just push yeah. it toward them. Um, yeah, and it is so efficient at what it does. Do you still consider this to be a deck where you would play a questing beast?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, questing beast is one of those cards that you're like, that's not because a lot of the creatures in this deck are toolbox creatures. Like they have some like like, reason that you're tutoring for them. Like, I'm tutoring for my Thrag Tusk to beat decks that I need life gain. I'm tutoring for my Luminous Broodmoth if I need uh, redundancy against Wrath. I'm tutoring for my Oof if I need to kill, uh, like, a Paradox deck. Uh, uh, Questing Beast? First of all, having a hasty creature is really nice. The amount of times that I've been in a situation in which my opponent's at, like, two or three and is, like, tapped out or whatever, and I have a creature tutor, I just go get a Questing Beast. Uh, and it kills them but even more relevantly uh the amount of times my opponent has had a planeswalker sitting at like three or four loyalty and like an army of two drops which i know these seem like really specific situations but they come up so often so like every day and you just tutor for a questing beast and it's such a blowout because they cannot block they take four their planeswalker dies and now you have a blocker that is bigger than all of their creatures. Uh, also,
0: I think people just never expect it.
1: No, like, you don't... Because you're not playing many hasty threats in this deck. So when I... Like, when you're playing against this deck, you're not like, alright, they're going to play a hasty threat, I need to be playing around that. You're like, if the only hasty thing that they're going to play is a Kiki-Jiki, then that's just going to kill me. Um which you're also oftentimes on Zealous Conscripts, which is another one that absolutely just gets people out of nowhere sometimes. Uh, This is one that people have told me to cut, but oh my word, Zealous Conscripts, it changes games, like it flips games so often, because first of all, if they're leaving up a blocker to not take lethal, you play a hasty threat and take their blocker, Um, But oftentimes, they have, like, a five-mana Teferi or something, and it's got more than three loyalty. Even better if it's at exactly three loyalty. You just take it, minus it, and they're like, oh, that's not good.
0: Uh, So, another notable thing about Zealous Conscripts is if you find yourself in a weird situation where um, you can't really, like, Set up the rest of the combo, because creatures have been pulled out of your deck, but you have a pod, and you can pod a 4-drop, and you already have Kiki-Jiki, you can just pod for it to actually have the combo.
1: Yeah, that's all scripts. I
0: know, uh, as Nicholas just mentioned with that other scenario, that sounds like a super specific scenario, but you do find yourself in those situations moderately frequently,
1: I would say. Yeah, Um, and Zell, Um, there's also, like, really cute things you can do, like um if you've got like a four drop in pod and you're against a deck in which you really need a collector if you can get zealous conscripts to untap the pod to go get uh woodland bellwar which is another uh solid creature you're playing that gets oof uh i guess we should we should say obviously we did not name all of the creatures that you're playing there's a lot of really solid toolbox creatures that you're playing that we will reference that we may not have mentioned earlier
0: and they don't all go in every list, like the list we're gonna link after the or in the description of this is not gonna have every creature we talked about.
1: yeah, um these are things that depend on the meta and um what you're trying to <laughs> the, beat.
0: this deck has so many flex slots yeah it's crazy. Um, I do really quick before we get too far from it I wanna uh, make a point about the um, the questing beast situation um this is just my own personal opinion. I think that a lot of people the main reason they don't expect the questing beast isn't because it's a weird thing to include in the list or it doesn't make sense because as we've discussed it makes perfect sense as to why you would play it um but the thing is people's schema of the deck which uh i don't i can't remember if that's a term that everyone knows or if it's cuz one of the weird things i watched a video essay about once but the idea is it's just the way that you think about something in your own mind's eye, kind of. So, like, when I think about goblins, I just think about little red dudes that are super aggressive and kill me fast. I don't tend, uh, just on on the surface, right? I don't tend to immediately think about the intricate combo and extremely resilient deck that goblins actually is, Right. So I think the same thing applies uh, when it comes to pod. When people think about pod, the first thing they think about is not this hyper resilient combo deck with all these uh, toolbox options and uh, this like long game plan. They think of, Oh, he's going to split on twin me on turn three or turn four. Like that's what they think. So because that's the idea that comes to a lot of people's heads, when they think about this deck, they don't think about, a hasty green creature coming at them. Yeah. So I think that's why people don't think
1: about it. Yeah, I would I would agree um 100% where it's like you have an idea in your head of what this decks game plan is and then um when it plays a card that doesn't seem to fit into that game plan that well, you're just like kind of shocked. Yeah. Um another combo that I did forget to mention earlier is uh Saheli Rai plus Felidar Guardian. Um oh, yeah. For people that played modern during a certain time period are familiar.
0: Pioneer when it started.
1: Yeah. Um yeah.
0: Do you want to explain the combo?
1: Yeah, uh Saheli Rai uh, basically you can minus two to make a token that's a copy of target artifact or creature you control and it gains haste. Um and so then if you make a copy of a Felder Guardian, it blinks the Saheli Rai. Uh, which lets you use the ab- that ability again, um, and then rinse and repeat until you have enough Felidar Guardians to kill them uh, a thousand times over.
0: Um, if you were curious, uh, that combo existed in Block Constructed. Those two cards came out in the same block. Yeah. Splitter Twin. <laughs> so that's cool.
1: Yeah, it was gross. Um, and another Silver Bullet card that I forgot to mention is Aven Mind Sensor. Uh, which oh, yeah. is always cool like it's always getting in uh it beats I feel like everything
0: i don't people probably figured it out at this point if they hadn't already um but when we say four color kiki pod that's four color no black
1: oh yeah we yeah <laughs> we did not talk about that. we did not mention that uh yeah it's yeah. green blue white and
0: red yep. probably probably green white blue red in that order i would say
1: yeah, you're you're not on very many red cards. Um,
0: it's like you're on like five red pips, plus a couple toolbox pips. Yeah, that's not
1: right. Six pips. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, you're you're on. Um, I I'd say white and blue are pretty close to each other. Um, green is the most dominant color in the deck, and then yeah, red is for a handful of cards.
0: Okay. Well, uh, do you want to talk about the standard point spreads for a list like this?
1: Yeah, so there's a few that you can go with. Um, there, the points spread has become less obvious uh, in recent years uh, because previously your point spread was just almost always time walk, uh, pod, and survival, but now time walk is seven points. So, um, and while-
0: spell seeker is also points.
1: Yeah, and spellseekers also points. Yeah, there there was, there was a time I'm not even. I've I've talked about it many times before. How it breaks my heart uh, every time I think about what what used to be. Um, but yeah, so, uh, there's a few kind of traditional point spreads. Um, you could go with pod and survival, which are two each. Um, and then I oftentimes will play something like soul ring. Um, and then like a true name nemesis and you could throw in a GTA. um but it, it kind of depends on what you're trying to beat um sometimes i will not even be on the Gt i think in my last iteration of the deck that i played on um on our lie on our four man i was on it, nine points
0: is that the version you want to link or do you want to write up an updated version
1: Uh, that's probably what I'll link. Um, it's, it's a pretty standard looking list. Cool. I think, um, yeah. And then, so, um, additional point spreads could be one that I have wanted to try for, um, a little while and I have not been able to, um, as of yet is pod survival, which is four points and then just double mocks. Um, we talked about earlier the, uh, the power of playing like a turn one mana dork to just really ramp into what you need to be doing, um, and I think Moxen would be a really nice addition to that. Um, and I what don't colors. What's
0: that? What what Mox did you play? Uh, Emerald Pearl or Emerald Sapphire?
1: Uh, it wouldn't really matter. Um, I'd probably be on Emerald Pearl, but Sapphire would be completely reasonable as well. Cool.
0: Think of it. If you do Sapphire, you could do. Land Sapphire, uh, uh, corridor monitor, untap this. Oh wait, no, I was trying to think how you could play a,
1: a mana Dork, but that doesn't work.
0: So you do emerald, blue land corridor monitor, untap emerald, play a mana Dork.
1: That is something that you could do.
0: Yeah. I mean, that'd be insane. You, I guess it depends what's in your hand, but like, yeah. come on, three. three what What I'm if the one. other card in your hand was pod? Like,
1: I mean, you can also just. I mean I guess if the next card in your hand is a Splinter Twin and you have the Mana Dork was a birds of paradise and your one of your two lands on your next turn caps for red. That's the turn two combo.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I got excited. Keep going. Yeah.
1: Uh yeah. Uh, another point spread that oftentimes I will do, but I don't know if it's worth it as much. Um but you can go pod it to uh time walk at seven and then fill out your other point with whatever you want, or don't fill in another point. Usually I'll play like a true name or a GTA. Um. Yeah. Ap- Sick. Apart from that, those are I mean you there's um like I've seen people play crop rotation, usually to get Gaia's cradle. Um Really?
0: I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Uh it's not the most common thing. And I don't know if I'd really recommend it, but it's a thing that you can do. All right.
0: Well, uh, if that's all you have to say about points, um, we're kind of onto our our last bullet here. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about the good matchups, the bad matchups, the eh, whatever matchups. So you you pick wherever you want to on this.
1: Yeah. So I think um, my least favorite matchup on pod is humility uh no, that is a card. Uh if there's a deck playing humility, you can't beat it. I mean, you can, but it's almost not like worth two trying. Cards. Yeah. You have
0: like two cards. One of them is Oko, and the other one is Brazen Borrower.
1: Yeah, and I I think does three mana to fairy bounce enchantments.
0: Yeah, three mana to fairy can also be pretty good. Yeah.
1: So <sighs> but it, two it's... of those
0: are temporary. <laughs>
1: It's one and of one those of them things. One doesn't actually solve it. <laughs> where Yeah, exactly. Two of them are temporary and one of them just attempts to fight through it. Uh I I did I did have I think I actually talked about it on the podcast. I did have a really close matchup with a blue white player that landed a humility and I had an Oko, and we had like uh, There's hour questions. an hour long grind fest uh in which he had a Gideon emblem, so i couldn't i had him at like negative six and i was slowly slowly pinging away at this oko or not this um at his gideon but he also had a will kenrith and it took an hour and we went to time and finally uh i think we drew but he had gotten game one so which i i I talked about this on a previous episode if you listen to that um so you can beat humility uh, but it will take a toll on your mental health. There is no worse feeling than sitting there with a ton of lands, staring down a humility, and you, like, rip a woodland bellower off the top, and you're like, I'll pay six mana for this 1-1, one, one, which is right next to my five mana 1-1 one, one that I played last turn, and my four mana 1-1 one, one that I played the turn before that. And you're like, I'm not making any progress, <laughs> but I can technically win, so I'm not going to concede. So if if your mental state is good, continue playing through a humility. Otherwise, it's not worth it. Ninety nine percent of the time, you're not beating it. Um, I love humility so much. Yeah, but aside from, uh, you're really only seeing humility in control decks. Um, but aside from humility, control decks, control still or prison. Yeah, or prison. Uh, prison is not good for you. Um.
0: <laughs> they like stranglehold you. You can't even tutor. <laughs>
1: yeah, you prison. You don't want to be playing against that. Thankfully, that's not super common. Um, control matchups are usually not the best. Uh, we talked earlier about the tools that you have to beat it, um, but generally they are just on enough um, interaction to keep you off the combo, enough wraths to keep you from building up enough of a board state to really um, like be attacking. And just like enough removal encounters to keep your really important cards from hitting play. Um, So you can beat control. um, You just have to play really well um, using your flash threats at ideal times. And tutoring out the right things when you get the chance. Um, Oftentimes against control it's not even worth it to try to go for the combo. Because oftentimes you'll end up putting yourself in a worse situation. By using your Eladomri's Call to get like a Kiki Jiki and then they just um like path it the moment that it hits play as opposed to where if you'd gotten um something like a Glenolindra, you'd be in a better position. So oftentimes against control um, I don't um,
0: actually you can't path it the moment it comes into play. The player has to get priority
1: first. Thank you Judge Ash. I appreciate your uh fine. The moment you activate it, oh no, it just ate a swords to plowshares.
0: There you go.
1: Uh, so you oftentimes won't even really try to combo against control unless you're in a situation which they're, like, hellbent, you have a pretty good idea that they don't have any interaction, they're tapped out, or something like that. Um, it's oftentimes not worth it. Um, your aggro matchups are often pretty pretty good, with the exception of if they get down a Blood Moon, or a Magus of the Moon, or a Price of Progress because obviously you're on a lot of non-basics. Um, but apart from that, you have a lot... Like, tutoring up a Thrag Tusk is really hard for RDW to beat, and then tutoring up a uh, um, like a Phyrexian Metamorph to copy that Thrag Tusk, or a Kiki-Jiki to copy that Thrag Tusk, they're just like, okay, okay, I've seen enough. Um, So Control is not an auto-win by any stretch of the imagination, but you definitely have the tools to beat it, and they don't really have... Scroll? Yeah, what did I say? control oh yeah no aggro um oftentimes they don't really have the tools to deal with what you're doing and you do have the tools to deal with what they're doing
0: i think another reason aggro is a pretty good matchup is because you're kind of ramping into your mid game and when you do you're playing these creatures that you're happy to trade with their creatures because your creatures come back yeah with, like your your kitchen finks, your thrag your luminous brood moth like you just play so many things that you don't really care or um you also get to play, like, Karmic Guide to bring your really good cards back. Yeah. And, and you're tutoring for those effects to gain back your life and double block, not double block, but, like, block multiple times.
1: Yeah. And um, additionally, a lot of the time, your creatures are just, like, bigger than theirs. Like, if you're playing a Mana Dork turn one into, like, a Corsair turn two, you are they're like, oh, well, my attacks are no longer good. Yeah. Or like a Night of Autumn. Yeah, like a Night of Autumn or, yeah. Like Questing Beast. Questing Beast. Kitchen Finks, uh, while it's not as much bigger, it blocks very well. Um, yeah. Mid-range decks are, I'd say, generally pretty even. It kind of depends on the build. Some are more favorable, some are not. It depends on uh, what their spread of, like, interaction and... Um, threats are and stuff but in mid-range I think is where your like ability to flip between game plans becomes the most relevant um like you're just always threatening both game plans at all times and they like have to deal with them both uh because they don't have as much interaction as control so oftentimes you can like be going for the combo and then the moment they interact with it you just instantly switch over to your mid-range plan, or you just are doing your mid-range plan, stalling the game, and then all of a sudden you combo. So mid-range is, I'd say, where you switch between the most. Um, And then combo is generally a good matchup uh, purely because you have so many silver bullet cards. So obviously any artifact decks you're going to get, oof. Any graveyard decks, you've got endurance, um, lion sash, and scavenging ooze. And then any, like, Flashhawk decks, you've got, like, Glenolindra, uh, Doom's Day decks, you have Glenolindra, and things like Vendillion Clique. So you can target out your silver... Uh, tutor out your silver bullets very consistently to beat the Aven combo Mind decks. Mind Sensor, too. Yeah, Aven Mind Sensor is super yeah. good. Be-
0: because of your just abundance of tutors, you're so good at finding those, too.
1: Yeah, like... Fast. The, the frustrating thing, um, playing against a deck like this, when you're on something like Paradox Academy or Eggs, is you can't really keep a hand with the hope that they just don't find it because so many of their cards in the deck are designed to find it so you kind of to a certain extent have to keep a hand that has a way to deal with their silver bullet which can get really frustrating in those decks yep sounds about right yeah i think that covered pretty much everything
0: Yeah, uh, do you want to talk about what you played this last week?
1: Yeah, um, so I played Soultie Midrange. Um, I think that it is one of the best, if not maybe the best, midrange deck. Uh, Is this
0: the same list you played on the Paperlander number 5?
1: Yeah, uh, it is, actually. Um, Which
0: should be out by the time this goes out.
1: Yeah, hopefully. We'll see, I guess. Um, But, yeah, so... I forgot to write down my games. Um, but I believe round one, I was against Seth. Um, and I think I, game one, he had an unfortunate mulligan, and then I played like a turn two Urza Saga, and so he had to spend his crop rotation to go get strip mine and deal with it. Um, which set him back pretty far, considering the fact he was already on, I believe, a Molda 5. And so I just played creatures and beat him down with them. Uh, And then game 2 was a decent bit closer, but I played an Urza Saga again. um, And I, I played an Urza Saga one turn, and then he played his own Urza Saga the next turn, but mine was faster. Uh, this is, if anybody's not paying attention, this is a reason that Urza Saga is super good and could honestly afford be, to be, be pointed. Be a point. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got, I was playing Shadow Spear, which I have honestly started really enjoying in my Urza Saga packages. I threw a Shadow Spear onto a, um, uh, Thrun. And, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> it was just, uh, brutal. Um, Match two, I was against, I think I was against Chad, um, and <laughs> it, if anybody has watched episode five of our four-man, uh, you will know that I brutally murdered Chad with a combination of Uro and Oko, uh, and I did a very similar thing.
0: It was it was painful to watch.
1: Yeah, Uh. well, so game one was really close, actually. Game one was a back-and-forth slugfest. Um, and then I believe game two, he actually got there. Um, and then game three, I played turn one mana dork, turn two Oko, and he's just like, yeah, I'm done. Uh, because like, it's so hard to beat. He looked at his hand and just realized it wasn't worth it. Um, cause an Oko on turn two, especially in that matchup is crazy. Uh, and then, uh,
0: he has like no way to deal with it.
1: Yeah. Third matchup, I'm I was against Ash on blue white control. Sorry, I just spoiled what you're playing. Uh That's okay. And I died. Um I actually I'll, I'll talk more
0: about that on mine. My...
1: Yeah, I think I made several misplays um which is Hey. What?
0: Good news. It's on video.
1: Oh, and yeah, we it can is. link it
0: in the bottom uh, in the description of this episode.
1: Yeah. Uh I made several misplays and I died to humility uh if anybody doesn't know i hate humility with the burning passion uh humility I'm sure you say that in the recording humility to 10 um honestly which hum like salt midrange isn't even the best matchup for humility but it still just makes my like most of my deck not do anything <laughs> um i don't know what you're talking about i hate humility all right uh what did you play
0: I played a blue-white control. Wait, really? Um, wow. I did, yes. Uh, <clears throat> so, round one, I was playing... Uh, and All of these rounds are going to be uh, linked in the video below. Um, it is extremely terrible video quality. Audio quality is alright. Um, lighting is terrible. Uh, it was a test run, so it's going to be an unlisted video. So you can see this link, but you can't search it. Um, watch at your own risk. It's not good, but it's there. Uh, so round one, I was against Matt on Naya midrange. Um, it, I don't think anything crazy really happened in th- that match. It was a pretty straightforward two. 0 he played creatures. I killed his creatures and then I played pines and then drew cards. Um, round two, I go up against grant on his blue, black, Tesserator deck. I talked about recent, uh, I think the last episode, maybe two episodes ago. Um uh I go two o again. Uh I, I get to bounce multiple and soul artifacted things with Jace um two different times in the match.
1: Yeah, that'll do it. Um
0: yeah, game two, I keep a farewell and I keep an opening hand that like slows him down a little bit but then just has farewell and my plan is to exile all his artifacts and then what does he do? He cries, right? Well, um uh I just like Countered everything. I don't even think I, I like removed creatures. I think I just countered everything and played a Jason, bounced a land that had an soul artifact on it, and then like just ended up winning the game without ever casting farewell.
1: Moral of the story is Jace is really good against soul artifacts.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Um, and then round three, I'm against Nicholas on soul Tie. Uh I I think you got a game in that matchup. I don't remember. I wrote down two one, but I'm unsure. You guys can see if you go watch yeah, it. Yeah,
1: there's the recording. Um
0: I only have notes for two games, so maybe it was only two games. Um so game one, uh I have a lot of stuff that I want to resolve, but um I Getaxium probe Nicholas at the beginning of the game and saw a counter squall. So he's sitting on a counter squall and I know he has it for like it had to have been literally like twelve turns. Yeah. Like it was a long time. Um, but he was, he didn't have that much in the way of mana, so I I drew some land destruction lands, and was able to eventually cut him off the mana to counter squall, and I played a Teferi, I believe, off of it. A five minute Teferi. Yeah. Um, uh, but, like, the reason I survived so long, because he just had no pressure.
1: Yeah, um, I, I, I got really mana screwed that game, uh, yeah. in combination I, I removed with, I think a Wasteland and a Tectonic Edge were...
0: Yeah, involved. I used both of them. And there was also a Field of Ruin, but that was I think for your creeping tar
1: pit. I, I, don't, I recall don't recall. Exactly. I don't remember.
0: Okay. In the game two, um uh it's a typical control versus mid range game. Nothing crazy happens early. Um I, later on in the game I have a bunch of planeswalkers, he has a bunch of dudes, I have a humility, so it was dudes are one ones. Um he's Nihil spell bomb is my ancestral recall, so I can't get it back. Then he thought seizes me and sees I have a grip full of counter spells. And then he plays through it for a little bit. And then eventually I just kill him
1: with Shorkai. I'm pretty sure. I did manage to destroy the humility, which is the
0: turn before you died. All
1: that I cared about. I won. It wasn't. I won the moral battle. Yeah. My, my
0: note here is written in uh, Nicholas's words. Um, he, well, the way he talks anyway, I said, he thought seizes me and sees my hand full of counters. He bounced the humility, but it's far too late. <laughs> I feel like that's just how you would say it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I maelstrom pulsed it. I don't think I bounced it. Maybe oh, is I that did. What it was? I'm pretty sure I remember, like, I I distinctly remember I... knowing your entire hand, realizing that if I do a super, like a series of specific plays involving a thought season to him to Torek, I can get to the point where I can resolve my Maelstrom Pulse and kill. I think at that point you had a Teferi, a Shorakai, a Wilkenrith, and the Humility. And, and Narset,
0: I think. Oh, no, I think you killed I think
1: Narset. I was able to kill Narset. And I was like. The Sylvan
0: Library started working.
1: Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I am going to kill the Humility and take that as my moral victory. <laughs> so that is what I did. <laughs>
0: yeah it was I, maybe I just thought it was balanced because like I feel like eighty percent of the time you remove my humility it's with a Brise yeah.
1: which to be fair, uh, it actually could have been, but I'm pretty sure it was a maelstrom pulse
0: i, I who's to say who can I don't say? feel like checking right now, um but yeah that's uh that's what I played, so uh do you have any more comments on anything uh nope. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed Nicholas getting to gush about his the love of his life
1: and the hate um, of my life, humility.
0: Yeah, and the bane of his the love of his life and the bane of his existence, all
1: in the <laughs> same room, all in the same episode. It's a <laughs> two for one deal.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we'll see you guys around. And, oh, wait. Maybe quick plug. Uh, we have a merch store now.
1: Yeah. Uh, um. Buy merch or don't. If we. Honestly, we mostly made it because we wanted merch. Uh, and yeah, that's
0: that's true. We are like,
1: I want to wear a t-shirt with our logo on it. And we we're like, you know what? We'll just make it so that other people can get it too if they want.
0: Yeah, so check it out if you want. If there's other types of merch that you don't see that you want, uh, let me know. Maybe I can add it to the store. Um. All right, well, everyone have a good rest of your life, and we'll see you around.
1: Bye. This sounded really ominous. It sounded like you were like,
0: okay. I guess saying that you. we'll
1: never see you again. Enjoy the rest of your life, or okay. like, I'm gonna kill you tomorrow. So enjoy your last day.
0: We'll see. We'll see you next episode. All right. Bye. See you next episode. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ten Points Podcast, and don't forget to count your points.